Hello and welcome to the podcast where we shine a light on the complexities and challenges surrounding the importance of human behaviour on cybersecurity and compliance. That's right, we're talking about people being at the centre of information security and data protection and the challenges of engaging users to create change in their behaviour. This is Beyond the Firewall. Hello and thank you for joining us. My name is David McClelland and in today's episode we're going to be talking about the the challenges, the struggles, the resistance that organisations face when they try to change how they face up to cyber security threats. And speaking of challenges, as always, let's meet our guests, MetaCompliance CEO and author of Cybersecurity for Dummies, Robbie O'Brien. Hello, Robbie. Hey, David. Good to be here. Good to have you with us, and also good to have with us today's special guest, author, consultant, CISO at Scout B, Greg von der Hast. You've done that quite well, actually. That's the best <laughs> I've heard in a long time. Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you very much. Tell us a bit more about what it is you do and where you, where you do it. I mean, you know, my, my background started as a kind of a teenage hacker. Now I, I consider myself uh, definitely more in the, the leadership space. In fact, more, if I had to define myself as leadership versus tech, I would actually say predominantly more leadership nowadays, mm -hmm. trying to guide people into how to use tech or just security in general, which is not necessarily a tech thing. CISO for Scalpy. Scalpy helps uh, very large uh, manufacturing, uh, aviation, automotive, fast-moving consumer goods companies, household names, uh, Unilever, Bosch, Air bus, find uh, suppliers, manage their supply chains, discover the capabilities within their supply chain, resiliency, uh, also, you know, more uh, ethical sourcing, sustainable sourcing, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. I believe we are the market leader in that space. I run the security program there, which I think we'll get into it more, but it's not your typical security program. It's, I consider security very much to do it holistically. It's very much uh, a quality function. And I focus first on business success, then on organizational health, openness, communication, transparency, and then we build security on top of that. I think we can have a great conversation around this and, uh, and this perspective you bring here. You know, let's not look at the tech first. Let's look at what we're trying to achieve. And you mentioned quality there, but also with your perspective on the big companies that you play with. I think that that really sits into maybe some of this resistance to change that we're going to be talking about today. Thank you very much, Greg. I was having to think about today's topic, this resistance to cyber resilience, resistance to change thing. And, you know, you immediately leap to that quote, change is the only constant. What are the ways that you've seen this resistance to cyber resilience thing bog down businesses that you've been working with for quite a while now? And why do you think it happens? Is it just a resistance to change in general? Or do you think there's something more to it? I think there's something more to it. And, and one of the big problems, David, is that it is pretty difficult to achieve this type of change. When we're talking to clients, they say, we're looking to change the security culture of the organization. And sometimes the way it's said, or we're going to improve the security culture, it's sort of like a flippant phrase, but mm. in it is the seeds of, of difficulty, which is culture. Anything that seeks to change culture within an organization where, you know, there are so many change initiatives is something that is pretty damn difficult. And I think that if you go back 20 years, you'll find that 
the people that, that are doing the jobs in all of our organizations weren't receiving quite the number of inbound communications from the organization. We just didn't have the myriad of comm systems from Teams, Slack, email, intranet, SharePoint sites. Where do you go to get the information? And basically, this concept of changing cybersecurity awareness is, is take a ticket and join the queue for all these comms that are going out to humans. So that's, that's number one. And then I think number two is cybersecurity is not a natural fear for, for us. You know, I think when you look at it, let's say from the browser comes up and says, do you accept these cookies? And being an in industry, I methodically go through and change the what, what I'm prepared to share and what I'm not. But I'm the only person in, in my family. Everybody else just goes, yep, yeah, you can have whatever you like. And so it is this sort of ulterior threat. And I think that combined with a difficult way to get to our users really makes this uh, a problem. And that is a, a latent uh, resistance within the, the overall ecosystem. You know, you, you mentioned all of those different inputs, the different pings, the different notifications that we get in, in our work environment. In a way, I think that mirrors what happens in the real world as well. You know, over the last 20 year cycle of technology since smartphones and laptops and the internet and everything else has become a thing. It's that little bing, it's that little red badge with a number in it that's kind of become one of the defining things in terms of grabbing our attention. We see that in the workplace, but with so many different things, it's competing. But Greg, I think it's not that organisations don't feel that they want to change. You know, I, I, I mean, you, you correct me if I'm wrong, and, and you too, Robbie, but I think that most organisations recognise the threat, particularly over the last half a dozen years, that is banging on the door. But it's often that there's a lot of, I don't know, a, it's that challenge of attention, but there's also a lot, a, a lot of baggage as well. So how do you start to turn that intent to change to some sort of real traction for change, would you say? I think I'm, I'm actually going to refer back to the quote. So the first step towards change is awareness. Mm. I think we think in security because we're, you know, we've got the security blinders on. We don't realize that we're maybe not thinking as holistically as we should. People aren't aware of as to why they need to do these things. We're, we're making do people making people do security awareness training, but they don't necessarily understand. It doesn't come natural to like Robbie said. Where why are we doing these things? And therefore, it doesn't go down. It doesn't get digested. And the other thing I like is, is culture. Like it, it's, You can't just do security culture. You have to have a general culture of, of openness. And example, it's first Monday of the month. So we have six new starters this morning. Mm -hmm. And I insisted on having, we do onboarding for all the different departments. And I, I insisted on speaking to them. They asked me, you know, the company, like, do you want to do a, a recording or something? I was like, no, no, I want to actually meet these people. I want to speak to them. I want to get to know them. And you know, I started off with, uh, you know, I'm CISO security. We have some training and some acceptable use policy. That's boring. You'll deal with that later. I want to get to know you. I want to explain why we do this. I want to tell you a little bit about the company history. It's not all, you know, rainbows and unicorns. We've had some difficult challenges. There's been a huge change in leadership. We're in a much better position now. There are some remnants. We've not always communicated the best in the past, being very like genuine with them. And that, that immediately builds that connection. Like, by the way, like mm -hmm. we, there's the awareness training. If there's anything you think is silly, let us know about it. Don't be afraid to, to question. So immediately they, they have someone that they know is honest with them, genuine with them, cares about them, wants their feedback. And then when you get training from them, 
it's not just some random training. You already have a human being associated with that. You have a relationship yeah. associated with that. So they're much more likely to take it on. And I'm more much, much more likely to get positive feedback to improve on it and how I deliver that. So that element of, of culture and connection, I think is really, really missing. So that's one reason why we have uh, resistance. And there's something else that you said that, uh, oh, technology, everyone is using technology nowadays. Like you said, this huge explosion in technology, no one actually knows how it works. <laughs> we go, we go out of our way to make it as simple as possible. Like I see kids on phones nowadays and they're like, and, and doing like four finger swipes and activating all these features. I have no idea that he was even on there, but you ask them like, what's an IP address. They don't know. They have no idea how this thing communicates. They know how to use it extremely well, but they don't understand the inner working. So they, they don't have any way of relating to the negative things that could happen to it. And I think that's back to that awareness piece where people don't know, and you either have to explain it to them, all of it. So you have to educate everyone to be an expert in it, which isn't going to happen, or you have to build a relationship of trust of I'm doing this for a genuine reason. Robbie, I know that you've spoken long and hard also about security as a, as a differentiator for your business. And there's lots of different ways in which that can manifest itself, isn't there? You know, whether you're pitching for new business, you know, you can say, hey, I'm ISO 27001 and all the rest of that stuff. That's good news. And if you've got engaged employees who are wanting the right thing for your organization, then you would hope that that would get them on board. Okay. So from a, a, a differentiator, I think that one of the uh, realizations that we've all had as a result of the pandemic and, and the shortages thereafter is that the supply chains that we all exist in are just crucial to the existence of your organization. And so therefore the companies that you, you contract with have to be as good as your level of security and, and up the chain as well. And so for the last 10 years, really, we've seen an enormous increase in the amount of information that a new customer will want from us vis-a-vis -vis what our security procedures and postures. And, and um, I think that it's part of living in this new digital world and with everybody involved in digital transformations. A lot of people talk about you know, security by design, but in a lot of cases, it's an afterthought. And one of the things that are really an afterthought is how do you bring your people along with you? But if you can do that and you can evidence it, for example, ISO uh, 27001 or Cyber Essentials or whatever way you can evidence it, it gives you a position that you know that it's a, a, a real issue for your customer. And if you get it on the table, then people don't have a clear vision of, of what they're doing with this will be at a disadvantage. And I, I think, again, go back to the word DEFCON 2, I think it has increased again. And I've always found that if you can provide a real asset by way of processes or IPR or, or, or whatever to your organization that helps them acquire business, that is one of the most important ways to get executive buy-in, to get the commercial people on board. And I remember it, it used to be the same back in the day with ISO 9001, the old quality standard, you, 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 or it's not the old, it still is there, but you, you couldn't do business without having ISO 9000. And, and it, well, the bigger companies really went down that road and, and everybody followed because it was table stakes. And I think being able to evidence 
the state of your, your cyber uh, defenses and the effort that you're putting in to make sure that your people are suitably caught up on what, what is the latest, the latest uh, threats. I, th- I think that's really, really important and will we'll continue to be a big, big competitive differentiator for companies that take it seriously. Greg, how important is security and, and being transparent about your security posture and how important it is to you when you're going out pitching to, to, to new clients? So my boss, when I once asked him why he hired me and he said, I don't care what the position is, the person must have business understanding. And for us, it was turn into a quality function, get more visibility, get more agility, upskill our people so they make fewer mistakes, which means fewer issues security-wise, better product, better engineered, more agility, but also fewer issues, period. You know, for every bug that's a security issue, you'll have 10 that's a usability issue. Uh, if we design more elegant solutions that are easier to maintain, they, they run faster. We spend less money overall, maintenance becomes more affordable. So these, these are all kind of business values. But what we've started to do, like we actually market, like I have someone on my team who's an information security commercial officer. So he makes sure on one end that we abide by all the T's and C's that our customers have because they're massive hundred plus billion market cap companies that get to dictate their terms because we're a scale up officially now, but also to do marketing, to do research. So if we have a, um, you know, we've done research about what are the main threats around automotive, manufacturing, aviation, uh, fast moving consumer, uh, petrochemical. And so when these companies come to us, security is usually an afterthought. If we get like a request for tender or something, they rarely ask about security, if ever, but we will answer them with, by the way, this is our team. This is our function. This is how we position it. These are the things we do. This is how we do application security. This is how we do infrastructure security. This is how we do process engineering. This is how we have human factors that looks into how people work. And we optimize the workflows to make sure there's no human error. We've gone really, really far with this and we're proud of it. And we want to show it to you. And that's usually, like I said, it's not on the tender, but they get that back and they go, then they start go to the other competitor and they're well, well, what do you guys do for security? Because we've just given them a 10-page thing that you know, you're going to give us sensitive intellectual property, so we really care about it. These are all the things we're going to do for it. And then the competitor's like, uh, uh, e. And then all of a sudden, security becomes a, a priority. Like We've made them aware of how important it is because quite often they internally treat security like a silo in IT. It is busting security out of that silo, isn't it? You know, playing that transparency card and being proactive so that you're right. It's not the, oh, they're asking the security question quick. Let's let's knock on the door and hope that it's not an ogre that answers and we can get something reasonable out of them in a reasonable bit of time. It's being more engaged. And back to the point, you know, you mentioned your conversation with your co-CEO or whoever it was who hired you about you being engaged with the business, being business first. And I think that really plays out in the scenario that you've just described as to how you do business there at Scout B. Yeah. I think I, think, uh, I did a talk recently, like I think like everything is risk driven, but it should be business driven. How do we enable the business to do things in a safe way, as opposed to just not being engaged and just being part of that process where we say no at the end, because you haven't done all these things. Well, you should have been proactive and build that in to the business processes so you wouldn't have anything to say no to at the end by the time it gets to security. I think that um, that approach that you've taken, Greg, where you have a commercial person embedded in your team, 
I mean, the title of this conversation is about resistance. I mean, there is a natural resistance within the IT and, the, and security teams where, you know, along comes the sales guys with this big questionnaire or risk assessment from, from a potential customer. And nobody wants to do it, you know, because <laughs> it's like, oh, it's torture. And typically 80% of what these questionnaires require are the same, right? There's 20% of difference. You answer 80% off the bat, which means that you, know, you focus on the things that are really important to the customer and you can determine why. why. Why are you focused on that particular thing? Oh, because we had an incident here in the past and, and we want to make sure that, that there's a control in place. But yeah. I also think that being available, being transparent for the, the commercial function within your business has to percolate through the, 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 the psyches of, of the, the sales engine. And, you know, if this is something that actually gets us business, then it's something that is good. And that therefore it's something I can buy into as opposed to what it is at the minute in a lot of places, which is it's being told to eat your greens. You know, that's even though you yeah. don't like, you don't like greens. It's, it's one of those, it's good exactly. for you, but nobody so, wants to do it. Like Mike, our commercial person, he sits with sales, he has a meeting with them. He educates them about what it is we do, how to do this. We're working on getting involved at the very beginning of a deal so that if there is that, you know, that extra 20% that deviates that we have to do some preparation for, we can do it while you guys are doing other stuff on the deal. So it's ready when you get to us and that needs to be answered as opposed to it, you know, being on the critical path. And then you have to pause while we research this for a few days. But yeah, we've, I mean, we've taken things from you know, big organizations. You know, I remember it taking probably three to four weeks to answer some of these questionnaires because you're, you're looking at like massive multinationals. So it was three to four weeks a year ago. Now it's 24, 48 hours tops. So that, that helps. And all this business focus helps endear you to management because they see you as you're not a cost center. You're actually a, a collaborating member of, of making, you know, business of reaching business success, basically. And that gives you the support that they see actual value in why you have the security program, why you have this awareness program, because it's not just awareness, it's upscaling the workforce, increasing productivity, getting that support is so important to then be able to actually engage people. Like if, if people you are told by their managers, oh, don't worry about the security training. You know, you're not going to get much traction. But right. if the VPs, directors, managers all get this message coming down, like this is helping us close some deals. This is helping us speeding up deals. Um, this is helping us differentiate ourselves. This is giving us extra talking points that our competitors don't have. That helps. You know, it gives people that extra reason to want to take the training. You also mentioned that a lot of the organizations that you work with are these behemoth organizations that many of us are, are familiar with. And a feature of those big companies is, and, and I've worked there as well, you know, individuals can often feel anonymous and middle management can often feel anonymous as well. And there's an awful lot of that. I've also worked in small companies, startups, where everybody is visible. And there's this feeling of collective accountability that really feels so, so different to working in a big three-letter, four-letter named company. Robbie, going back to your experience of working with, with big companies, how have you found this change? How difficult is that to crack this, this cultural thing? What kind of things can you do that 
can make a big company, this oil tanker, change course on a sixpence if it really needs to? And I think changing course on a sixpence can happen. We saw that in the pandemic where we went from mm -hmm. offices. So I think that's the thing that has uh, maybe evaporated. All change takes time. It, it certainly doesn't. I think that, unfortunately, one of the things that gets big companies to change their behaviors is if they have a breach or a, a, a fairly serious near miss, uh, you tend to find that budgets become made available for recruiting people, for you know getting partners. And that's unfortunate, but it is a, it's, it's a fact. And anyone listening to this particular type of episode would, would understand that, that in their business, fear is, is still a big driver. But we talked about the, the, the sales aspect of it. I think that one of the other truisms is that it takes time. I have never seen anyone change the culture in a, a sizable organization in anything under 18 to 24 months. And that's like a constant, well thought out, well communicated campaigns, awareness campaign that is that has buy-in from, from the executives. And that is the secret sauce. The secret sauce is it takes a village to, to make this culture change. And I think we should focus on the fact that it, it is an incremental changes. And the key is to get as many people participating as possible, rather than having a, a group of people who are uh, really tuned in, but they're a you know, sub 30% of your overall user base. Really what you're looking for is greater than 70% of your user base actively participates in your, your awareness. And thereafter, what you teach them really is just to be, you know, think twice, uh, take their time, respect the tech. It's simple things because we're not trying to get our entire user base certified to CISP or some level of security certification. That's a different job. What we're trying to do here is try and build that human defense higher given the circumstances in the marketplace, but also over time, sort of have a reward system that people improve their profile, get a, like a drive, an internal uh, company driving license or level of, of certification from your company for having achieved these different levels of cybersecurity vigilance. But I think the time, once you bring time into it and you dig in for a, a longer war, then I think that that'll give you the energy to get through it. One of the biggest problems with change initiatives or awareness campaigns is that after about six months, they just run out of steam and it's really hard to get them started again because you've just proven how difficult it is. Greg, what are the, some of the ways in other companies that you've worked in? You, you, you mentioned that you've been on a on a journey in your working career to where you are right now, but, but what are some of the ways that you've been able to effect change even within larger organizations? Robbie touched on, on one approach, which is that kind of a catastrophic change or, or near miss or uh, in a previous place where um, there was a lot of resistance to security in general, security awareness on the part of users, definitely, but also just best practices from the IT operations staff. And there was a, a lot of resistance to even giving visibility to things and this insistence that, no, we know what we're doing. And I think we had... Uh, it was actually quite difficult to get in, to get it booked because of the approval process. But we finally got a, a six-day pen test booked in. 
it was like from Friday to the following Friday. So that first day and then five additional days. And they called me up around just before lunchtime on the first day asking me how they should proceed. And I thought they wanted instructions to do the test because right. um, they hadn't even been giving any credentials or any access whatsoever. But what they actually meant is we've run out of things to compromise. <laughs> oh, wow. Absolutely catastrophic. Like every workstation, every server, every SaaS service, domain controllers, ticket granting ticket or uh, Kerberos, like absolutely everything. And uh, walked up to the uh, chief exec with her passports, travel visas, credit cards, and birth certificate that evening. That's and, a full uh, house in any game of cards, really, well, isn't it? Yeah, we got the <laughs> after that somehow. Yeah, full house. <laughs> I like that term. I'll, I'll add like one more thing that we found maybe. There was, you know, the payroll data, customer data. It was university, so research data, student grades, exams, you name it. And that, obviously, that kind of event helps drive change. And the, the, uh, the awareness, the education is uh, a part of that. The other thing, which Rob, you also touched on, is that like you want that higher percentage. And if, if you do fail, if it doesn't work, it's a setback because the, the resistance will only get higher and higher the next time around. The critical mass that you have to overcome, there's like a, an inertia. And if you're unable to break free, you will, you will not make progress. And the people with bad habits, because people tend to spread their habits, and the people with bad habits outnumber you so much that... Yeah, you can, you know, you've got 10,000 people, you can get a hundred to do it right, but they'll get, if they're in the same organization, the same culture as the, the other 9,900, they're just going to get sucked back into those practices. Uh, especially if you don't have that up down, like top down support yeah. where upper and, and middle managers support that. And one of the ways of doing it there was to actually break down, like find parts of the organizations that are maybe somewhat siloed or isolated, or whatever, and focus on them to have them be a center of excellence. So you may have only a hundred people there, but you can, you can address that. You can change that culture and their contact with the rest of the organization, which is maybe a bit more toxic to use a word is, is relatively limited. There's only like a few uh, reporting lines or something or even horizontal ones where it's, that's not enough to overcome them doing things right. And then if you break, and that can become a kind of a center of excellence. You can use it as an example, you can do some, you can do metrics about it. You can see like they, they compete better. They have fewer IT costs. We don't need a full-time support person for them anymore. And then you can use that to sell to senior management or just bite off another piece, another piece, another piece. I think you're absolutely right. It goes to the digestive capability of the organization because yeah. if you build up by giving, giving people uh, things that are engaging, uh, making sure that you have large amounts of participation and over time you increase it you, you their tolerance to it you know as a result of of you approaching it in a considered way grows over time what i've seen before is uh, people get overzealous and they basically blanket bomb everybody with policies and simulated phishing campaigns and emails with e-learning on it and what happens is that the organization just absolutely rejects and you get so much pushback from, from managers that inevitably the pause button is hit and it is so difficult to get it started again. Uh, so I agree, Greg, if you, you know, taking it over time or if you find 
a couple of champions who you know, are clued in, maybe they in a previous life or in, in the current role have had a near miss or an incident and they recognize the value of changing their methods of business and you build on, on, on top of those. So again, it's back to, it takes time. It takes, it's more than a year. It's definitely possibly two years yeah. before you see substantive culture change. Yeah, because if, if you have an organization with 10,000 people and one in 100 raises an objection, and if you do the full thing in one shot, that's 100 people that have just complained about you. They're going to shut you down because 100 people complain. But if you address it 100 at a time and you only get one complaint, you can deal with that one complaint, and all the other 99 aren't complaining, then you can kind of overrule and that's the- And that's where the executive buy-in comes in. And um, what we say is that, you're always going to get 10% to that. Just as you said, you're only, always going to get 10% of your population don't want to do it. They don't want it because it's in the wrong language or they've used a different word for cybersecurity instead of information security. They don't like the characters. They don't like the diversity of the characters. They don't like this. It, it just is incessant because that's just the society we live in at the minute. But given we are at DEF CON given that the threat, landscape has increased you really do need the executive team to get behind the program and say listen we're going to have this pushback i need you to cover us here so that it doesn't die because hr really can't cope with the sort of rejection of these controls i think you know it seems to be the recurring theme just to get traction in anything information security you, you have to be business aligned you have to be in line with that that business to build that relationship with management, that support for management, that they understand that this is a contributing part of the organization. It's not just a tick box uh, cost center. Like I mentioned previously, it, we're, we're terrible at this. Uh, like I mentioned this to you guys before, like I was at a conference a couple of, couple of years ago with CFOs, COOs, uh, CEOs, and they asked, you know, board level, uh, not just C-level, but board level. And they asked them what the number one reason was for them to fund their security functions. And the most po- number one answer, the most common answer was to make them go away. <laughs> it's, it's just like, it's a great line. That's, that's how bad we are at communicating any kind of value. We're, we're literally just annoying and they yes. give us money to go away. And, and that needs to change if you're ever going to have, you know, you can get money, you can buy a bunch of toys, but are you ever going to win hearts mm-hmm. and minds? Are you going to change behaviors? Are you actually going to even get the visibility, enough visibility of the organization to even know that you're protecting everything. No point in building a wall around something if there's gaps in it. So that's, that's, absolutely- I think the other thing, Greg, is a tick box process, tick, tick box exercise in, in regard to trying to, you know, I've sent, you know, I've sent out the, the, the email with the training on it to everybody, but you know, only 15% have taken it. What can I do? That's sort of like that first level of immaturity that a lot of people, when asked, do you have a, a, an awareness campaign? Yes, we do. Do you do this? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. But there's a, there's a different state of maturity where you go, actually, we're going to have to engage as opposed to, you know, spray and pray that people, I think it is the responsibility of the organization to make this uh, digestible, um, attractive to, to users and, and to get users to, to jump on board in a considered way, as opposed to blanket bombing all at the one time and lose their trust. So you have to have that trust. You have to have that engagement. I mean, part of my objective is like, we, we need to have some idea of 
like every business process, doesn't matter if it's operations or marketing or IT or engineering or development or data or product, HR, you know, human factors person, a huge part of her job is just talk to people, like find out how they're feeling, what they do, get them to open up, get them to explain the business process. And you, you know, you, you realize you have parts of the, your, your business operations where you're, you're handling data that you had no idea. Yeah. Uh, you know, we look at like it, like it's a bunch of servers and systems, but we don't necessarily know what, you know, what's the job that these things are, yeah. are enabling. What are people actually putting on there and taking off and how are they handling that? And where are they? Yeah, exactly. And it, that allows you a, to the fact that you're talking to them, builds that relationship, builds that trust. And you can explain them very specifically as to why this is important, or if you thought of this or that, and, and they start getting it. And that's, that makes them want to take the training, especially if you tailor it to them. Greg, top tips for anybody listening from what we've spoken about who might be trying to create some kind of cyber awareness, cyber change in their organization, but for all the reasons that we've mentioned, might well be facing some reluctance, resistance, or frustratingly slow progress. What would you say to them? Definitely make sure you have the senior level support. Work on that. I've been in organizations where it took me a year just to get that. And I, I didn't bother doing security because I knew there was, it was just hopeless without doing it. That is an absolute requirement. Find the champions where you can. If it's a very large organization, try to break it down into manageable pieces. Engage with your people, understand what your people are doing to be able to speak to them, to make training relevant. And also just to take feedback, like you, we have a lot of like canned training platforms and, and I find you know, almost all of them will have maybe 10% of the content is either not applicable or, or maybe even incorrect for our specific case. So mm. get that feedback, optimize it. And even getting that feedback, like for them to then take the training and realize you've made the changes they suggested is, it's quite a thing. It really makes them uh, feel like you're on side. Sound advice, sound advice. It's Robbie, over to you. So I've got two pieces of advice and I'm going to take a piece of advice away from this call. The piece of advice I'm going to take away is embedding a security person in the commercial team. I think that's a fantastic idea. I love that. In terms of advice, I think that slow and considered in terms of uh, how you get your organization to engage with your awareness content, Rome wasn't built in a day. And then I think carve out those groups that have the highest risk and are under constant attack, give them training, give them information that's relevant to the role, uh, you'll get a far better response. Yeah, those VIPs, obvious targets. But another one I heard the other day, the VAPs, the very attacked people, might be the PA, might be the new starters, to your point earlier on. Always. Greg. Gentlemen, that is us out of time for now. Uh, before we go, Greg, where can people find out more about what you get up to? Are you active on LinkedIn? Do you do other bits and bobs as well? Well, I'm not as active as I used to be, but I'm certainly uh, available on LinkedIn. Greg Vandergast. I've got a book, Rethinking InfoSec, you can check out if you fancy. It's, mm -hmm. it's a bit dated, but the, the concepts still apply. People still seem to enjoy it. And uh, I'm actually thinking of writing another one about the creation of the program at Scout because I think it's going to be fairly interesting. Find me on LinkedIn. That's definitely the best place. Watch this space, yes, and look up on Amazon. Other bookstores are available, of course. Uh, Robbie, speaking of books, I'm pretty sure that your Cybersecurity for Dummies has got something to say on implementing change yes. and managing resistance. Yes, it was written as a playbook for people trying to implement 
security awareness, compliance awareness campaigns. It's a really good manual for, for helping you and, and the executive team move things along and catch up with us on MetaCompliance website. There's loads of posters to download, lots of uh, guides and planners for your awareness campaigns. We'd love to see people there. And we'll be having many more of these types of conversations. So wherever you're watching or listening to us today, do come back for more. But that is it for today. Greg, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Thanks for having me. And Robbie, you too, thank you very much for joining us. Until the next time. Thanks, Dave. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye.